Alright y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to hopefully what will be the first in a series of podcast episodes that focus on particular towns and cities and the stories floating as memories in between the buildings and the trees there. The idea is to drive around with a guest in whatever chosen area, hopefully jogging their minds into those, oh man, right here I remember, hence the title, Ride Around. Our first featured town will be Nashville, Tennessee, and our guide will be a guy called Reckless Dave. And our first stop is pert near the intersection of 20th Avenue and Broadway. We met at a record store that we're going to call the Grand Getaway. Okay, yep. Yeah, and we're sitting outside of a, the building that is sitting on where the Grand Getaway used to be. Uh-huh. And what's the name of it? Tubus Pizza. My uh, first issue with this place is they have a, a painting of Pam Greer, and they have her down as... Cleopatra Jones, mm-hmm. but actually that was Tamara Dobson who played Cleopatra Jones. She was Foxy Brown. Yes, or Coffee, uh, Coffee and, and several right. other people. So, right. okay. So, what are some of your highlights of working at the the Grand Getaway? Well, uh, you know, first of all, I, I would say my first visit. I was taken there by my roommate that I was with for like six months when I first came to uh, Nashville, and. You know, was just trying to get a job, and he had suggested this place. And when he took me there, I was just like, it would be like Grimey's. You know, Grimey's, nobody can get a job there. Right. Basically, you know, you have to, like, inherit a position. Okay. I just kind of assumed that this would be the same way, even though I didn't know about that place. Uh-huh. I mean, that that's just, like, my idea. It was sort of like a high-fidelity idea where it's just like, you could ask to work there, and if you, you know, volunteered for, like, three weeks or something, right. you know, you'd... Or somebody it's died. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. It was very cool. It was. I went there at night, and it seemed like it was like low lighting. I mean, that's my memory of it. You know, it's just, like it was a very we tried to mystical, keep it romantic. Yeah, yeah. I applied and got a call, and immediately was like, I like this place because I'm going to get distracted no matter where I am. But here I'm being distracted by like my work. Which is videos and comic books and vinyl records. Anyway, I I feel like somehow, even though there were there were times when it would get like, oh, what am I doing here? You know, after a long time, I I was able to keep like a nostalgic feeling about it and and gratitude for being lucky enough to work there, which is something that a lot of people I I think wouldn't necessarily share because it's minimum wage. I'm not somebody that wants to be like a manager pretty much ever. So I'm okay with minimum wage. But then there are also like things where it's like, I'm not going to go work too hard because I'm staying here at right. you know minimum wage. Well, know? I mean, the place had perks. It, you know, we, we got a discount off of stuff mm-hmm. to buy. Of course, it's cool. All you do is dealing in with stuff that you love. So there was that. I think that's why so many people put up with the low pay. Right. So let's talk about some characters. 
Yeah. At the place. The first one I thought of when you said characters was Elvis. Elvis? And, yes. Presley? No, but named after Elvis Presley. Okay. Elvis was a gentleman who had Tourette's and would come in and usually needing to use the bathroom. He would always want to look at the Elvis Presley cassette tapes, but a lot of times he would have to be asked to leave because he would bother a customer. And he would sit there and curse? Or? Yeah. He had just real tr trouble like whenever he saw a female of, you know, uh, controlling himself. And he might, you know... He would say something uh, vulgar? He might... That and you know maybe uh, kind of grab himself or something oh, like that. Oh wow! But yeah, that that you know he would come and could to the bathroom and you know we had a stick with the bathroom key on it. It was imperative on him to have a conversation with a clerk in order to be able to use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would just come in so often that you know I would just see him and and, and grab it and he wouldn't have to to say anything. Uh -huh. This sad part was, you know, he would always want an application. Uh. Well, the first few days I was there, this guy came in and he just didn't say hello or, or anything. He just said, go pay. <laughs> and I... I'm sorry, excuse me? He's like, Gopi. So I went back to one of the managers and said, there's a guy here asking for Gopi. Does anybody know who Gopi is? And they, they, they kind of poked their head out like, oh, he needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, right. like, oh, Gopi. Uh, duh. You know, there was one guy who, uh, his last name was Oldham, as it would read. Mm -hmm. but, and he sold a lot of stuff. And he would tell you that his name was Oldham. Hmm. It was, and, and it was like, and, but not in a like that. Not in a like that's how it read or that's how it looks. But like that was his name, mm -hmm. and I just wanted to be like, your name is not Old Ham. I'm sorry, <laughs> your name is Oldham. Right. But you go on with living your life the way you want to. <laughs> uh huh. Twenty four seven. Uh huh. Twenty four seven. The name is 247 It carries on to the next day You get in the fill of measure Whenever I grab the mic to spit Right now I need everybody to get it But tell me you're feeling it Two, four, seven. Okay, so, you know the, I think everybody has like a celebrity story Of, of one or another And uh, I, I do remember Daniel Johnston came in And, uh, you know, his brother's uh, taking care of him He's wanting to buy like all of these comics like these 50 cent comics mm -hmm. it's like casper and, the friendly ghost comics i remember right right yeah. disney and 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 all of those and so he only had so much that he could spend and so he's having to to decide which ones to put back and so it was just like and i was you know checking him out it was just like well i need this one and i need this one and i need this one when it's that many comics, you're just like adding them up on the calculator, and I think I just ended up having it be what he could spend. Oh, that's sweet! <laughs> you know, did the uh, the grand getaway <laughs> eat, grand eat, eat, it? eat it? Yeah, eat it? I mean, they, they weren't eating much. Okay, but but yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't donate. <laughs> True love will find you in the end. 
you'll find out just who was your friend. Okay, so some of the folks that work there, obviously the one that stands out to me is the the owner, and we'll mm. call him Harry. Mm. You did a real good imitation of him, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> For people who don't know, he, he could be cruel. Everybody was always failing him, <laughs> you know, and we were all, his, his words were sloughing off. I hardly had any, unless I had to go to the warehouse. And that's when I found out who Harry really was, which, uh, I mean, he's a hoarder <laughs> who's made a business. Which he's in the right business to of, hoard, I guess. Out, yeah. of, out of such. Yeah. And I, I wish I could make that transition myself. <laughs> uh, so in the warehouse, there is just so much stuff, and he wants you to move things from, like, one pallet to another and in a very precise order. It's very OCD. And you would not look at the warehouse and think that an OCD person ran it because it's just <laughs> it's piles of just junk in and, some cases. They're evidently chronologically ordered autobiographically or something. I don't know. But the warehouse, I mean, to give people a picture, it was about a block long. I always liken it to the the final scene in the Raiders of the Lost Ark where the, the right, Ark yes. of the Covenant is getting pushed back in there. He would be like, now, David, I, I want uh, all these records uh, to be uh, uh, moved over there. So just, just uh, uh, pick up this. And so I'd you know, be reaching down. And, but but no, 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 don't step your left foot quite <laughs> there. I want you to move up and put it. Lift that box over this box over here. And then angle your bosom in such a way that and kneel so that you're very awkward and uh, you might have to uh, actually but first before you do that there are some comics over here that I'd like you to take a look at oh, man. and uh, it's spot on. I'll come back in half an hour and, I mean <laughs> Because, like, every time you went to do something, it was, like, it was messing with the order. And, but it was just, like, there's no order here. I, I do remember uh, Andy, Andy Kong, coming in and, like, really doing some some stuff that was helpful. Great guy. I miss him much. And his dobro. Yes. You know, he had an interesting relationship with, I'll call him Kenneth, and Kenneth was probably about my age, maybe a little younger now. Because you've grown older, than, he, and I've he has grown older, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenneth lived a basement apartment over off of 8th Avenue, mm -hmm. underneath the red apartments, which are next to Mercy Lounge. And he ran what was called the, was it the half-off store? He was in some ways like this weird kind of rebellious protege of Harry. He was trying to get his band together and, and whatnot and would share with me his frustrations. And so hearing him complain about it is like what I really think about it. Where 
he just wants me to do these things and I'm like but I've got my own life going on you know and so well Harry he kind of had this old school mentality of his employees should have complete loyalty to mm. him mm. you're right they didn't have lives outside of the the shop in his mind but I would get that if it was a factory that paid well right the whole model is based on one goes away you can just get another one to fill that spot but you know I work in a bookstore now for a corporate chain we'll call it Yarns and Fables (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I have a manager that explodes on things that it doesn't make any sense and their daily occurrences number one customers walking into the textbook area of the bookstore (laughs) which they're allowed to do Uh his desk is positioned right at the entrance which that doesn't have to be but it is and so he's the first one that and they have a roll bar it's kind of roped off Mm -hmm. at certain points so they have to stop at the entrance and go like what's going on and then he's got like these little signs on the desk that say like Yes, we're open, and they'll, they'll like shake the signs. <laughs> well, I have these signs here because they'll ask, you know, uh-huh. oh, can I come back? Yes, <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll grab a sign. We're open, <laughs> and I mean, I mean, he will slam things on the desk, and it's just like, how is this? How you react? How does he still have a job? Well, exactly. I don't think people complain about it in the manner that would cause uh, changes. <laughs> really. It is a good question because I think most of the other managers don't want to have anything to do with them. Like, and it can't be good for business. I mean. Well, see, it's a racket. It's the textbooks, so they they have to go there. That's kind of soul sucking too. Yeah. When you know people complain about the price of the books, and I'm just like, yeah. Almost every job I've gotten ever had to do with the ease of application. Probably describes relationships too. But <laughs> I don't want to really have to sell myself uh-huh. too much. Uh, in fact, if I can undersell myself, that's even better <laughs> and still get a job. <laughs> so we're outside, we're in North Nashville in the, what do you call this, Metro Center. We're outside the Watkins uh, College of Art and design and film, I guess. It's hard to see with that tree in the way. Yep, that's right. Watkins yeah. College of Art, Design, and Film. Okay. And uh, this is where I came directly after the Navy. And I used my GI money, which paid for about half of, of Watkins. And you could only use it, like, to pay for half of a semester at a time. You couldn't... I couldn't, like, use all $30,000 and only go like two years. I see. Okay. So I, I had I had to cough I, up some of the money. I had to cough up some of the money, and and uh, I ended up having about that much uh, debt uh, as a result. Did you date any when you were here? Uh, yes, real early on, and then after that, not really. Ended up not being so great. It was just something where it's like. Our personalities seem to match up, but there was competition involved. I wasn't... You mean somebody else was competing yeah, to get her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bowed out. I, well, I mean, not really. What I remember, among other things, was that like uh, there was like this concert coming up. It was like the editors. And I was 
present when we heard a song on the radio and it was like, who is this? And I took the time to like find out who that person was. It was like on WRVU, which was the Vanderbilt station from a, a long time ago that you were actually on. So they were coming to town and I was like, hey, guess what? The, the editors are coming to town and there was kind of like nothing... All of a sudden, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm already going to that show. So-and-so, you know, bought me a ticket. I was like, oh, I'm not going to just miss this show. So I went to it, too, and it was very, it was really kind of awkward. But, yeah, I, I did not end up dating anybody else. guy named DJ and he had already been here for a couple semesters and I, I think he had some uh, ability issues he would kind of like talk to himself just kind of like pace the halls it was really weird because you know Watkins kind of rides the line of what they offer you know I mean I think they're like a, a straight-up school that but they could almost be like a for-profit type of place uh, in, in some sense. And so DJ to me was like almost like a foreboding of you're not going to necessarily get the care you want. What they want is, you know, that you're still putting money in. Uh, sure. So you mean they put up with them just because? Yeah, exactly. Where, where it's like, this guy should have like failed out or something. No, you give him another paycheck. I, I mean, he, he did have to take classes over again, I think. Did he make any films? Yes, I helped him make one of them. One of them was a, was a fantasy epic shot up in Ashland City. I was, I think, the uh, assistant director on it. It was like, if I don't show up, like nobody's going to help this guy oh, make it. I mean, but I, several people felt that way, and... and showed up to, to help him make it. But I mean, yeah, it was really like this group effort of like, okay, DJ, now what? Okay, now over here, uh, we'll have... But, you know, he got these guys that, uh, you know, reenactors maybe uh -huh. uh, from like Renaissance or earlier even than that, uh, where they're very much focused on the reality of how people fought in uh, whatever century. And <laughs> I mean, I had to put on a mask myself and you know play one of the monster characters. Something else. Did it turn out okay? I doubt it. I don't think I ever saw it. <laughs> I would say it was probably at best confusing. At best confusing. Yeah. Confusing. Okay. Okay, we're over in Bordeaux now, north of Nashville. You used to live down the street here. Yeah, um, I lived here for, well, let's see, I moved in the beginning of 2008, and I left in July of 2015. This is a predominantly African-American part of town. And you are I, not. And I am not. <laughs> and at the time, 
when I first moved here, I mean, it, it got to be where I was, if I saw, like, a white person, that was like, who's that? <laughs> what's the guy doing? Yeah, what's he doing? You know, I kind of kept to myself a little bit, but uh, at one point, I a neighbor that had just moved in knocked on my door, and, you know, it was, it was just like 6 in the morning, and asking for, you know, help with his car. It was kind of hard to understand him. He was from Mississippi. He was an older gentleman. I mean, probably like 60 or so, or late 50s, maybe. Come to find out, he actually, he had a disability on his card. So it wasn't that he was from Mississippi that made it necessarily hard to understand. But uh, I thought that's what it was for a while. <laughs> Eventually, I was helping this guy and or somebody in his family, like, every other day, if not every day for a while. At some point, they had uh, gotten their car, you know, needed repairs or whatnot. I think there had been an accident. It's like the 15-year-old had been driving, and they got in an accident with somebody. It was over at a shop, and they could not get this guy to give them timely service, basically. I mean, it really was I'd never heard anything like it, where it's like it had been over there for like a month. And so, like, I was having to drive them over so that they could, like, talk to this guy. Do you think uh, so it was a p payment issue, or...? I don't think that's what it was. I mean, I went over there and heard the conversations, mm -hmm. so I really think that they were getting the runaround, uh, and, and, I mean, you know, somebody, like, for watching you on your side or something <laughs> probably could have gotten involved, uh, but it was really hard for me to tell because mm -hmm. the conversations would get, like, heated and... I'll call him Stevie. Stevie would just get angry and frustrated and, and kind of accuse the guy of whatever and then kind of walk away from it. And it's like, that's that's not going to solve the, the issue, even if it was the case. Mm -hmm. They'd taken it over there because he could do it for like under $200 and to give him a paint job or something. I mean, it was like kind of like an extraordinary deal was proposed, but that like... It would take a month and a half or something. Like, it was not... <laughs> like, catch. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, I don't think that was really part of it, but you would go over there and it would just be like, this guy looks like he's working on, like, seven cars, like him and maybe a couple other people. Who knows? But anyway, I had to I had to drive him, like, almost, like, every day for, like, a month or so. It got to be where, you know, it would test, like, oh, am I doing this for somebody? Or am I doing this just because I don't feel like saying no? Mm -hmm. There'd be times when I would say no, and that wouldn't feel any better. You know, mm -hmm. just be like, well, I'm just being a lazy jerk or whatever. Right. Eventually, Stevie's living girlfriend died of like a stroke. I mean, she was about his age, but just real, really poor health. And so, I mean, that was a really hard time. Before long, he had a, a, a different living girlfriend, and... His sister was over there, lived with him too. And I mean, there was, you know, drug use and uh, his sister was like an alcoholic. I mean, all of them was just like, who can take care of anybody? I think his new living girlfriend probably had some mental disabilities too. How are these people keeping a house together? I mean, he's got, he had like a check that he got. Uh, so did you just go over there and party with him? Not much. <laughs> But sometimes, yeah. <laughs> not, not, eventually, the the second girlfriend came over like crying, and the house was on fire, and it was just like, 
Whoa. All that went away pretty quickly. I mean, it was just like, I called the fire department, and it was really bad. It was terrible, but I was just like, well, you know, hopefully they can get some, like, state help. You know, I got Red Cross involved. Did the house burn down? I mean, it was unlivable. Oh. Like, yeah, they had to move out. Where, where did they go? Immediately, they were put up at a hotel, but then eventually there was, like, a church that had gotten involved. And then I was moving out at, at that time. The first year I was here, I had a cat named Kitty. How'd you come up with that name? <laughs> well, I did not name it Kitty. <laughs> Kitty was already given to it and I just kept it. When she was just a little kitten, uh, she had just been found like maybe a week or a couple days before I had moved into this house in, in Inglewood. And then uh, another roommate there was w wanting for it to be his cat because he had never had a cat, but then it was like kind of feral, so sort of mean. I kind of let it bite me and stuff, and they were like, oh, when I was like moving out, they were like, oh, you can take this cat with you. <laughs> so I took Kitty and did not get her spayed and i also called her uh pantera sometimes just so <laughs> she could have the name p kitty she eventually had a litter uh, just one cat and uh, then the other one died at birth it was like a stillborn or something but the one that that lived was called Miyagi and or ms Miyagi. she ended up being just like my little buddy and uh was here the whole time and then for like a year at the place I moved to after this and so she recently passed away she got hit by a car but for for the time that that we were together she was she was my little buddy and I, I ended up giving kitty to my parents out of revenge out of revenge <laughs> I had taken on a third cat because a roommate that said he was going to keep a cat, didn't, and so I ended up having three cats, and I decided to give up Kitty instead of Shadow Boy. That's the other cat, and I still have Shadow Boy. Oh, okay. So he's he's back at the apartment. How's he living? He's, he's doing all right. I mean, he's acclimating to, because he used to be indoor-outdoor freely. This house had like a hole in the window, like a pane missing or whatever that they could just go in and out of. And I would, you know, sometimes cover it up. And so any stories about Shadow Boy or... My neighbors said that they'd seen him uh, catch a, uh, or dragging a rabbit at one point. Shadow Boy? Yeah, uh, he's, he's a pretty big cat. He's all white. Miyagi was a long-haired calico, which I gather is somewhat rare. I do remember uh, taking psychedelics one time and <laughs> feeling like... Uh, that her soul was gonna, you know, it was gonna move on from, from this one. It was gonna take a step up. I really got that sense. But I saw the Buddha baby laughing in the curtains too, so I mean, who knows. <laughs> at a place called Melrose and it's a pull hall, right? Yes, that's correct. It's on 8th Avenue. It is indeed, as it becomes Franklin. 
my initiation into to Melrose was, uh, you know, Grayson was telling me about this place that was just down the road from his house. He used to live. Grayson also worked at the Grand Getaway. Right. We just called it billiards because there's there's a billiard sign. It, it says billiards and it didn't say anything else about Melrose. Anyway, I went there off and on for, for years, even though I don't drink a whole lot, uh, most of my friends do. Eventually my friends started working there and I, you know, I just got asked, because I needed some extra cash, if I would like to work there one night a week. And one night became two nights and that almost turned into three nights. This is all through like friends. I mean, I never, I just like wrote my name and social security number down and I mean, that was about it. You know, started getting checks after that. It was a really interesting job because I really like spending time at, at bars, but I'm not as interested in getting super drunk. And so I was able to just kind of sit there like a lump <laughs> <laughs> and get ice for the bartender every once in a while. But other than that, just kind of people watch. I checked IDs so that the bartenders didn't have to. I remember there was one guy that he was just, just one of these people that it's like they want to make themselves the life of the party and they're like ordering shots for people that don't know who they are <laughs> just cute girls in short dresses or whatever and he's being real obnoxious with people that I knew like told a, a bigger friend of mine to like could you get out of the way because he's obviously like staring at the rear end of some patron that was kind of like the last straw you know I just asked one of the girls if he was you know, bothering them. They were like, yeah, you know, cause you know, I got him to where it's just like, Hey man, you gotta go. You know, I said something to Joey and Joey is the bartender, you know, for, for the most part, he's the boss. I mean, the great thing about Melrose was the, the cat was perpetually away. Uh, cause we just had like no contact with the actual owners. Uh-huh. If Joey was like, this guy's gotta go, then, then he had to. And I mean, over serving was, you know, sometimes, an issue but this guy was either just a live wire or already drunk partly i'm like i just don't like him and i don't want to sit there and watch him escalate to to a point of being too far gone so you know he's complaining about i didn't do nothing blah blah blah. i really didn't so you know i I told him i was like you know i i heard what you said to my friend and you just gotta leave i didn't even mention how he was you know putting his hands on him but then he's got a side guy that's like I'm just going to tell you right now, you don't want to mess with this guy. And it's just like, oh, I'm going to let him stay and run the bar then. (laughs) (laughs) That is the reason why he should leave. You know, if he's got a a wingman telling me how dangerous he is. My first step as I loosened the strap on my backpack was a slow road. Don't look back was what the sign said. Unless I misread the lettering of a name and population of the township I was entering. Now I'm measuring each step. Holding bank robbers and claim jumpers in contempt. Never been a fan of gunslingers. They take your most valuable asset with the use of one finger. Towards the end when it was announced that it was going to all close down, they had kind of a last waltz uh, farewell concert and... Uh, just got everybody up there. I, I even got to sing a verse of Keep on Rockin' in the Free World, which <laughs> I flubbed up a little bit, but it was all right.
back of the record store. So right around the time where I was not writing a full screenplay because I had like writer's block or whatever, I, I had this kind of idea about where I was writing it into the story where it was like, I get involved with like a married woman or whatnot. And so it just so happened I was at Springwater on like karaoke night and I met somebody that I was like super kind of like intrigued by and also her friend who's super hot and I was like, well, maybe I can, since this other one gave me her phone number, I can, you know, just get in with one of them at least. I, and I really didn't know which one. But it ended up being this one that was married who was more attracted and she tells me a story that she is like in an open relationship, which, you know, I don't know much about, but I'm just kind of like, I'm going with that, you know, I, and I don't really investigate that. So you want it to be true. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Okay eventually you know we've already kind of gotten involved but it's like okay now now it's time for you to meet the husband he wants to meet with you so he knows about you right 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 and yet the meeting was so awkward that i wasn't even convinced that it, he really did even after that no he that, yeah exactly because evidently part of it was that you know he doesn't want to know specifics so that I'm just like, okay, so I'm not going to get into, like, who I am or what's going on, but uh, am I really breaking that, or is this, like, a con that's going on where, like, oh, nothing got said, so very much felt like a game being played, and I just wasn't sure what part I was in the game mm -hmm. or and how it was being played uh, with them by themselves, mm -hmm. you know? I eventually get a phone call where... It becomes clear that the guy is angry and that he feels he's been lied to. Up to that point, I have not lied to him. He's talking to me in a threatening manner. So that makes me want to just, I'm going to lie about what our relationship was. Mm -hmm. So as not to provoke his anger. Up until that point, I just thought things were on the up and up. Of course, I, in the relationship at, at that point, and then I get a call, an angry, like, voicemail from him, and right before I'm about to go into work. Oh, and I got a, a voicemail from her where it was like, I should be ashamed of myself that I took advantage of her, like, psychological state or something like that. And then a couple hours later, he is there with her. She's, like, looking down at the ground, like, it, it, she's been shamed in some way. And, uh... They leave, and he's like, I'm going to come back. He asked me when they, we close, and I told him. And so he doesn't come back when we close. He comes back, like, 20 minutes later <laughs> and runs back behind the counter and is like, got his hands around my throat. Uh, we're struggling, and I'm like, no, no, no. And then Cody Kimmer, like, comes up and puts, like, a full Nelson on him, and <laughs> we push him out the door, and, you know, some customers are there and Mr. DM, we'll just call him, is who's a manager there. He's off somewhere. I don't know what happened to him. And then another guy called the police. So the police came by. I didn't press charges and I never heard from them again for like years. But I mean, I was constantly 
in fear. I, th- I think it contributed to me being a homebody. It kind of contributed to me being reclusive and not wanting to get in, into relationships. With married this women. Was, with married women, but I mean, <laughs> it's, it, you know, when you're not in very many relationships, then something like that is, that's in the high ratio of the ones that, that I've even had. So uh, it's like something I got to explain and, and whatnot. So anyway, I, I get contacted in late 2014 by the guy on Facebook, you know, apologizing really? profusely, yes, that in fact it was part of the deal the whole time that they were in an open relationship and that he had just gotten mad because she had lied in some way about it, but that side had nothing to do with me. Are they still happily married? Yes, they are. They have they have a kid. Wow! Yeah. So they got it all worked out. They got it all worked out, and we're friends now. I mean, we, really? we met, and they apologized. And I mean, I think there's in some ways I, I still have work to do with them. I would have never thought this, but uh, when they did that, when they came back to me and were like, "We were both wrong, and are sorry." It really let me know how much that had affected me. It reminds me of another incident in my life where it was like I was like relating some like childhood trauma that I had kept a secret for like a really long time, even though the the actual incident was not terrible in terms of like abuse cases. Mm-hmm. It had affected me quite a lot by keeping it a secret, mm-hmm. and so. I was able to like go, oh, this is how that's been affecting me. And so letting it out, it was helpful, but that it wasn't really enough that I ended up reverting to like tendencies towards, you know, secrecy and whatnot. I think there's something to say about that too, where it's like, it really helped, but I haven't fully processed how that can continue to benefit me and what else I might need it at least came back where it's like I didn't feel like I had the you know negative karma from from that incident still going on and when it cracks and when it cracks that's where you know it's trying to keep from losing touch now I want to thank Reckless Day for letting us into his Nashville. And I should mention that all the music you heard was made by artists with some connection to the said town. These artists include Oblio, Everyday Atlas, MC247, Daniel Johnston, Synapse Trap with Andy Kong Anderson, Kansas Bible Company, Henry Paul McAfee, Llama, The Very Special Guests, Spoken Nerd, and Jacqueline Pye Francis. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. 